And while the kids are transitioning, if you have a Bible, I encourage you to open it up to the book of Judges. There we are continuing in our study. We're going chapter by chapter. And this morning we're in Judges chapter 9. If you don't have a Bible with you, that is totally okay. Uh, if you probably have a phone, inside our bulletin this morning, there is a QR code. You can scan that, and that goes to the entire chapter of Judges. It's like 57 verses long, and so we didn't want to print all of it out there. Um, but we're going to be looking at all of it and asking the question why it matters to us as Christians this morning. You know, if there's something that I have learned and observed in my own life and in the life of others, is that when there is something that we want, little will stand in our way. This is, of course, so easily seen in children. Right? Even if they know it's dumb, if they want it, they go for it. Anyone else uh, experience this when you were children that you guys want to admit to? No, just me. Okay. Do you guys remember that Stanford marshmallow experiment in the 1970s? where they, they put this marshmallow in front of a kid and they watched to see how long it would take until the kid ate the marshmallow. Well, let me tell you what, it didn't take very long. But that same desire is actually also true in adults. It, it might be more easily seen in kids, but it's also seen in, 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 in adults as well. You might remember from 1483, King Edward IV of England died. And his, he had two sons. He had Edward V, and he had his younger brother, then Richard. And, and King Ed, Edward V was an underage, and he was now uh, reigning as king, but he mysteriously disappeared with his brother when their uncle, Richard III, had his nephews taken to the Tower of London. And just weeks later... Richard III pronounced himself king because the nephews were nowhere to be found. Isn't it interesting? When we want something, when we desire something, little will stand in the way to get it. Because King Richard III killed his nephews in order to seize the crown. When we see something we want, what great lengths will go to get it? But the reality is that God sees all of that. And he knows all of that. And we cannot hide our motives from him. And when it comes to God's people, God is at work for his people. And so we're going to see how that is true this week as we look at Abimelech and his desire to be king in Israel. And so our verse of the series that we are working on is Judges 21-25. And we're going to see the reality of that verse come to life for us. So it's on the screens. Let's recite it to one another as we are studying the book of Judges. Let's say Judges 21, 25 together. In those days, there was no king in Israel. Everyone did what was right in his own eyes. Let me pray for us as we open up God's word. Father, we confess that there are always mixed motives in choices that we make. And Father, we are so thankful that Jesus, for the joy set before him, endured the cross. He took on our shame so that we, who were actually guilty, 
would receive the righteousness of Jesus, we'd be saved and redeemed. What amazing work that is when we see what happens when our hearts go after what we desire. So Father, help us as we open up Judges 9 to long for King Jesus more than we long for our own choices. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, let me give you the big idea this morning because there are 57 verses that we're going to be looking at. We're not going to read all 57 verses because that would take a while, right? Um, but we are going to reference them. And so you're going to want your Bible open. You're going to want to see what we're looking at here. But here's the big idea that if you get nothing else out of the sermon, this is what we want you to walk away with. An earthly king chosen for earthly reasons has disastrous consequences. So look for leaders like Jesus, not Abimelech. And so this sermon is appropriately called The Rise and Fall of Mars, I'm sorry, of Abimelech. So let's look at the first half, The Rise of Abimelech. This is verses 1 to 21. And, and before we dive in, we need to get our feet wet and remember what's going on in the book of Judges. Right, Gideon had just taken an army of 300 and trusting God, God had delivered them from the Midianite army of about 120,000. And we found out last week that though Gideon had had a good chapter in his life, he didn't end his life well. He introduced idol worship back into Israel. He outwardly said he wouldn't rule over Israel, but he effectively did. And even though Gideon decided to have the private citizen life, he lived as if he was king. He had many wives, and he had a concubine that was typical of a king in those days, but was something that Israelite kings were not supposed to do, according to Deuteronomy 17. One of Gideon's 70 sons was a guy named Abimelech. Remember, his name means, my father is king, which is odd for Gideon when he said he wouldn't be king. But don't get mixed up here as you're looking at the passage. You see Jerubbabel, that Abimelech is the son of Jerubbabel. Remember, Gideon was given the name Jerubbabel when he had initially removed the Baal and Asheroth uh, places of worship out of the promised land. So Jerubbabel, Gideon, same guy. Okay, don't, don't forget that. Abimelech might have been a son of Gideon, but his mother wasn't one of Gideon's wives. She was one of Gideon's concubines. In fact, the text seems to go out of its way to show that Gideon might be Abimelech's father, but Abimelech actually identified with his mother's side of the family. In fact, there's a good chance that while all of the 70 sons uh, lived at Orpha, which is where Gideon's family lived, Abimelech most likely lived with his mother's side of the family in Shechem. And Abimelech was not happy with his position as an outsider. And he was determined to want to be important. Abimelech wanted to be king, though he thought it was unlikely that Gideon's 70 sons would affirm that as well. And so in Judges 9, verses 1 to 6, our passage, Abimelech wanted a kingly throne, but he knew that his 70 brothers wouldn't agree. So he went to his mother's side of the family to persuade them to tell all the leaders of Shechem to support him. 
And according to Abimelech's logic here, why share power when you can just control all of it? And so Abimelech appealed to human logic. Why have 70 rulers when you could just have one? After all, he was their relative, he said in verse 2. And it worked. Abimelech's family took up his cause. The rulers of Shechem followed suit. And, and actually, we should make sure we don't miss why that happened. Look at verse 3 with me in our, in our Bibles. It says this, And his mother's relatives spoke all these words on his behalf in the ears of all the leaders of Shechem, and their hearts inclined to follow Abimelech. That's actually really important in a book that says that there was no king in Israel and everyone did what was right in their own eyes. We're going to see what unspeakable horror they had just said yes to. I think it's worth saying because we're going to get into the deep here in the next few weeks with what's happening in the book of Judges. But I think it's worth saying here at the outset that the book of Judges shows us that we should not be surprised by sin at this point. But we should be saddened by it. Right? Praise the Lord that what happens with Abimelech, by the way, he kills his 70 brothers. Okay, I'm just, spoiler alert, he just kills his 70 brothers coming up. Thankfully, I've never seen something like Abimelech in church ministry. Okay, that's never happened at a church I've had to deal with of someone murdering their 70 brothers. And by the time that we're done in the book of Judges, we will have seen so many terrible situations that when we see sin in our own lives and in the lives of those around us, it actually shouldn't surprise us. I think there's a tendency among Christians to forget where we have come from and the natural inclination of our hearts. We've not always been redeemed. When someone opens up to us just a little bit in ways that they might be struggling, we too often respond in a way that surprises us because Johnny could never do such a thing. And then what we've just done is that we've just unintentionally communicated that Johnny's sin is worse than ours and therefore we'll never, he'll never open up and be honest again. See, after reading the book of Judges, when we see our brothers and sisters struggling, we should not be surprised at the craftiness of sin. Because as Christians, we really believe that sin is real. We believe it's actually tempting. And that it so easily entangles. And so we should be saddened when we see sin, but we shouldn't be surprised by it. In fact, we need to remember that the Bible doesn't teach us to follow our hearts like the people of Shechem did in verse 3. Uh, our hearts, because of our natural sinful desires, our hearts deceive us. They don't help us. And so Paul says, apart from God intervening in our lives, we are people who walk in disobedience. Genesis 6 describes the human heart as only desiring evil all the time. The book of Judges displays that in full view of what the human heart naturally does apart from God's intervening grace. When we see a glimpse of the sin of others, don't jump back as if you're surprised because biblically we know better. Instead, we should be saddened that this is a reality. We should sympathize with the fact that where there is sin, there is also suffering. 
And we should give real hope in the gospel of Jesus who breaks the power of sin and sets the prisoner free. The book of Judges should make us say, yeah, that happened. But then Jesus came, the true king. The book of Judges shows us that we shouldn't be surprised at sin, but it should sadden us. And then it should lead us to offer real hope of Jesus to a broken world. And so the leaders of Shechem decided they wanted Abimelech to be king. They gave Abimelech blood money from the pagan temple of Baal Barith, a foreign god where Baal was worshipped instead of Yahweh. And if you read, you see that they gave him 70 pieces of silver, which is exactly the same number of brothers that Abimelech had. They knew what Abimelech was going to do. They understood it. They condoned it. And they supported Abimelech's decision on how he was going to get the throne. And so Abimelech hires some hitmen and some bodyguards. And he goes and he wastes no time. He goes to Orphra, where his brothers lived. And he kills his 70 brothers on one stone. Meaning he did it quickly. It wasn't by accident. And it was in cold blood body upon body, thrown in unspeakable horror, again and again until all 70 are dead. They might be blood-related, but they aren't really family. Gideon, if you remember, he, he killed fellow Israelites, but his son Abimelech took it one step further and decides to murder his own family in the name of the throne, in the name of getting what he wanted. Except, we begin to get a glimpse that not everything is going well for Abimelech. In fact, one of his brothers escapes and goes into hiding. The youngest brother in verse 5, his name is Jotham, he's saved. Uh, you know, I guess after 40 bodies piling up, uh, you begin to lose count. Uh, the people of Shechem were convinced that Abimelech was a strong leader and he was one of the people of Shechem and so they ins formally installed him as their king. But do you guys notice that it's not God who has raised Abimelech up? It's Israel doing what's right in their own eyes. And so in verses 7 to 21, we see this nepotism but not integrity. When Jotham, the youngest brother of Abimelech, who escaped, when he hears that Abimelech had been installed as king instead of fleeing, he goes to Shechem and he raises his voice in protest against the people of Shechem. Jotham, with a price on his head, stood up to speak against his brother. Jotham was the only one to stand up and cry foul but he did it. And he tells this weird parable about these trees that want a tree to rule over these other trees. And all the trees had good qualities, right? The olive tree and the fig tree and the vine tree. But all these trees reject taking the king throne for the other trees. And they reject the offer of kingship until it gets down to the lowest grade of the trees, the bramble bush. Okay, it's, it's this unhonorable, scraggly, wild bush tree that's more like a weed. 
And what's the main point of Jotham's speech here? Jotham is describing what's happening with Abimelech becoming king. They had been dishonest. They had lacked integrity with it. And Jotham's point isn't just that their decision was foolish. He's actually saying that they are acting unfaithfully. Look at that with me. Look at verse 15. Jotham says, well, if you've done this in good faith, and then he says it again in verse 16, if you acted in good faith and integrity, and then he uses that same phrase again in verse 19. Look at that with me. He says, if then you have acted in good faith and integrity. See, what Jotham is showing is that it's not simply about a foolish decision versus a wise decision. He's saying it's actually about unfaithfulness. The people of Shechem had not acted in good faith. They conspired with Abimelech. They paid him blood money. And Jotham warned them, if they were faithful in making Abimelech king, then they should rejoice in that choice. But if they've not been faithful, if they've been unfaithful, then God would repay them, he says. And so Jotham made this pronouncement of judgment against them in verses 19 and 20. He says this, If you then have acted in good faith and integrity with Jerubbabel, remember that's Gideon, and with his house this day, then rejoice in Abimelech, and let him also rejoice in you. But if not, let fire come from Abimelech, and devour the leaders of Shechem and Beth Milo, and let fire come out from the leaders of Shechem and from Beth Milo, and devour Abimelech. Well, we know from our scripture reading that Jotham's words prove exactly to be true. The rest isn't a fairy tale. It is a true life story of terrible retribution on an unfaithful people. Brothers and sisters, do you realize that our choices in who leads us need to be biblically guided? If we use earthly measurements for what should be spiritual leaders, we will only have earthly results. When we should, as the people of God, want leaders who will help us to love and trust and follow Jesus better. It's actually one reason why I really love what the Bible says about godly leaders. It's not simply those who just have a good financial background. It's not those who are small business owners or corporate CEOs that just make good leaders for the church. Not only must their lives be intact, they must have spiritual wisdom, Paul continues to say. So what type of leaders do we need here at Friendship? We want those who will help us to love God more faithfully and to trust him more fully. That should be our requirement. And I am so thankful that our elders do that very thing. They help us love God more and follow him more faithfully. Because an earthly king chosen for earthly reasons has disastrous consequences. So we need to look for leaders like Jesus, not Abimelech. Well, we've looked at the rise of Abimelech. Now let's look at the fall of Abimelech. Verses 22 through 57. When it comes to God's people, 
God does not sit there idly. A common question that we often ask is, if God cared, why didn't he do something to help? It's actually not a bad question to ask. We see it all over in the Bible, in the Psalms, in Revelation, even in the prophet Habakkuk. And God's answer is this, don't confuse patience with idleness. Don't confuse timing with caring. God does care. He just doesn't work on our own timetable. To Habakkuk, God actually says, I'm doing a work so great that you wouldn't even believe it if you saw it. Sometimes God is patient, so more would come to repentance and faith. Sometimes God is teaching us a lesson by giving us what we want in our hearts. Sometimes God is giving us what we want to teach us what we actually need. That's what we see in verse 23. God is acting. He cares about Israel. God cares about his people. And because of the violence that's done to the 70 sons of Gideon, God would make Abimelech and the men of Shechem pay. So God sent an evil spirit between Abimelech and the leaders of Shechem. And we begin to see the fall of Abimelech. In verse 25, the men of Shechem start ambushing travelers and they start creating problems between Abimelech. And then in verse 26, this, this guy named Gaal moves into town with his relatives and the leaders of Shechem put their trust in Gaal and they no longer put their trust in Abimelech. And so then there's this episode where Gaal goes to the vineyard. He says, let's get the good wine. They throw a party, there's lots of wine, and you know what happens, things get worse. Not only are they worshiping a false god in that festival, Gaal starts talking a big game. And he says, who's Abimelech that we should serve him? Man, if I were in charge, I'd let all these people be free. Life would be so much better if I was ruling over Abimelech. Well, that's what Gaal says. And so, this dissatisfaction with Abimelech had been developing for some time. And so Gaal takes this opportunity to stir up the crowd against Abimelech and to present himself as their long-needed liberator. And word reached Abimelech that this was happening. And so Abimelech, at the encouragement, sets an ambush to prepare for battle the next morning before Gaal could even be prepared. And in verse 34, that's exactly what happens. Abimelech responds quickly. He deploys his troops, and it worked. And, and in our scripture reading, we saw that, that this guy who was actually on Abimelech's side but was pretending to be on Gaal's side, and Gaal's like, hey, are there these men who are coming down the mountain? And Zebul's like, nah, you're just seeing things, man. They just bold-faced lies. And then, and then uh, Gaal's like, hey, who are all these people coming down? And, and Zebul's like, ha, we got you. You better come out and fight against Abimelech now. And so that's exactly what happens. Abimelech responds. He deploys his troops, and it works. His thugs ambush Gaal. They drive him and his relatives out. But all is still not well. You'd think that'd be the end of the episode. But Abimelech is not happy that the people of Shechem sided with Gaal in battle against Abimelech. And so he wanted revenge. 
He heard the next day that the people of the city had gone out into the field. And so in verse 43, Gideon divided his, or sorry, not Gideon, Abimelech divided his army. He set an ambush and he killed all the people that came out of the city. And while that was going on, Abimelech took another part of his army and fought against everyone else who was in the city that whole day. He captured the city, but he didn't want it. He just killed everyone in it. He burns it to the ground. He, he throws salt all over it, which is a, a, to make it useless, to make the land completely worthless. And then he finds out that the leaders of Shechem, the people that he really wanted to get revenge on, weren't in the city. They had heard what was happening. And so they had fled to this pagan temple tower. And so when Abimelech heard where they were, he said, guys, go do what I do. And they chopped down a bunch of wood, and they set fire to the tower so that all the people of the tower of Shechem also died. About a thousand men and women. This is literally a holocaust, complete death. Fire has gone forth from this bramble bush and has destroyed the people of Shechem. A thousand people burned to death. This is a literal fulfillment of what Jotham's warning about fire coming from Abimelech to Shechem that had come true. Abimelech is, is drunk with power and he doesn't stop. I think it's right for us to even just pause for a second and go, He's the king of Israel? The king of God's people? Like, what do you do when life just seems so corrupt? What part of this even resembles faith in Yahweh? What part of this even looks honorable to God? Well, none of it. Oftentimes we realize that there are terrible tragedies in this world that are outside of our control. There are true, horrific situations in the world around us and in our very own state. And to the things that we cannot control, and yet they affect us, which are some of the most difficult of circumstances, we need to remember Psalm 94. That was part of our scripture reading this morning. It's a great psalm. I encourage you to read it this afternoon. It's a great psalm reminding us that God will not forsake his people. In fact, in fact, God will never abandon his people. And injustice has no place with God. And when injustice happens, and when there's nothing that we can do about it, but we are affected by it, God becomes our rock of refuge. When we are in the midst of unjust situations affecting us, but are outside of our control, we are to run to God with our concerns, knowing that he is our rock of refuge and protection. And in verses 50 through 54, the men of Thebes, which is the town right next to Shechem, right? They had joined with the men of Shechem in their rebellion against Abimelech. And so Abimelech, still drunk with rage, he heads over to the city of Thebes next. And those leaders see Abimelech coming. So they too hide themselves in a tower like the leaders of Shechem. And you're like, oh my goodness, it's happening again. And Abimelech starts getting the fire and he's ready to burn it to the ground. But this time, 
However, an unknown woman, fearing for her life, threw a stone uh, on Abimelech's head, crushes his skull, but Abimelech, not wanting to be known to be killed by a woman, has his armor bearers stab him with the sword and kill him. Can we say praise the Lord for this random woman to accomplish God's will of bringing the blood of Gideon's 70 sons back on the head of Abimelech? And Abimelech dies. Wow, what a violent end to a violent reign. Maybe some of the most relieving words in the entire chapter of Judges 9 are found in verse 54. Look at that with me. And he died. Thankfully, Abimelech did not have a long reign. The man who became king through murder has been killed. And when the Israelites saw that Abimelech was dead, they went home. That's the show, folks. Almost as though they were walking home and from, from a nightmarish zombie state or something. The Israelites saw that Abimelech was dead and they just simply go home. Remember, Abimelech's death, though, wasn't simply an accident. It wasn't just serendipity. It wasn't in the right place at the right time. No, the end of this chapter describes Abimelech's death as, as God's punishment for Abimelech slaying his brothers. Thankfully, even in the midst of all of this, God was at work. Now, I might be wrong, but I don't think the question for us today is how do we make certain that we aren't leaders like Abimelech? I doubt that's going to be an issue for us, thankfully. But I do think that we should see that a strong leader is not always a good leader. We all like strong, decisive leaders. We dislike weak leaders. But as God's people who have been redeemed by the blood of Jesus, who have give, been given the Spirit of God, we just need better categories. Abimelech was a strong leader who wasn't a good leader, and he did nothing for God's people to be faithful to God. Friends, don't mistake strength with godliness. Don't mistake decisiveness with faithfulness. Don't mistake being outspoken for wisdom. I actually think Abimelech is a warning to us all. Abimelech is a picture for us when we use wrong motives and wrong methods for a king. We should long for a better king. Abimelech's not the ideal king. Yahweh is the ultimate king. He does not rise to power through evil. He is the one who we can really find refuge and protection in times of trouble. That's what the Psalms talk about. When we try to rule our own lives and our own events, we only make a wreck of the situation. History is clear on that. The book of Judges is clear on that. And so we need a better king to rule over us for our good. And God has made Jesus our forever king to rule over us. And so we're called to submit to God's good, eternal kingly rule, which is so far different than Abimelech's poor, temporary rule. Just consider 
how Abimelech is just the exact opposite of Jesus. Abimelech fought, he brought death and destruction to his people. And Jesus, by his own death for us, has come to save and redeem his people. Jesus came to make peace and give life. Friends, the good news of the gospel is that we have a king who is nothing like Abimelech. God has designed us to know him. We have rebelled against him by doing what's right in our own eyes. We have decided that we wanted to make our own king and define what that looks like, and we've made a mess of the world. And instead of God smiting us and just destroying us in his love and compassion and mercy, God sent his only son, Jesus, to come and take on our punishment for our rebellion. Though he did nothing wrong, he went to the cross in our place. And then he gave his life for us. Jesus then gives us his righteousness. Where Jesus has never rebelled against the Father. That's how the Father sees Christians today. He sees us through the lens of Jesus as if we had never sinned and as if we had always done what was pleasing to God. God looks at you, believer, right now through the finished work of Jesus on the cross and he doesn't see Abimelech. He sees his son Jesus when he looks at you. Praise the Lord for that. And also the invitation is that all who would turn from doing what's right in our own eyes, can come to Jesus in faith, not earning a place with him, simply receiving Jesus as our king. And so the good news of the gospel is that we don't have to live where we make our own rules, where we have to decide what's right because we feel like it, but instead we can serve a king who promises eternal peace. Looking at Abimelech ought to make us rejoice in the good shepherd and the good king that Jesus is. Maybe you're here this morning and you're not a Christian and you don't even uh, know what you're really even doing here this morning. Well, we're so glad you're here, but you don't have to know much about Christianity to see corruption in the very lives of the people here who are supposed to trust and follow God. It doesn't take much to see the brokenness uh, and these sinful actions. And I hope that this type of leadership makes you sick to your stomach. No one wants this. And yet, if we're honest with ourselves, we realize how the people of Shechem were living for themselves. They thought it would be good having a king that they were related to. They thought it would be good to have a king that they had bought and purchased so they could control him. But they were wrong. This happened because they were doing what was right in their own eyes. But we are created by God and are designed to do what is right before God. We are so much like the people of Shechem and wanting to do what's right in our own eyes, but we find that the world doesn't get better that way. It actually gets worse. 
And so if, if, if you are here and you don't know King Jesus, won't you come to Jesus today and receive him by faith and say, Jesus, I want you to be king of my life. And then you too will begin a transformation where we live not by what seems right in our own eyes, but by every word that comes from God that brings peace and brings hope and brings new life. Friend, won't you turn away from your own ways and come and find life in Jesus. We see that an earthly king chosen for earthly reasons has disastrous consequences. So we need to look for leaders like Jesus, not like Abimelech. Friends, praise the Lord that Jesus even redeems us from our own choices of doing what's right in our own eyes. There is no amount of doing what's right in our own eyes that can outstretch the blood of Jesus for us. Praise the Lord that God's mercy even outlasts such terrible decisions like Judges 9. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you that in fact you are a good God and you are a good God who promises to do good for your people. And Father, thank you that even in the evil of Abimelech, you, you, Father, were at work so that it would not last long. Father, would you help us to be people who long for King Jesus more than we long to do what's right in our own eyes. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.